Just a few moments ago, Nick, who has led us through our Advent readings this year, read to us a beloved, well-known portion of Luke chapter 2, the recounting of the birth of Christ. This evening, we're going to take a few moments to consider one of the things that those verses tell us. And we're going to read some of those verses once again, and yet I memorized this passage with my family when I was young, and we must have done it in the King James, and for me it just feels wrong not to do it in the, in the version I haven't memorized in, so I asked, the, I asked Ailey to put it up in the King James for us. This is Luke 2, verses 8 through 12, and I'd ask that you please listen along. This is the Word of God. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and lift your hands with me if you're able. Lord Jesus, now we'd ask that you would attend the preaching of your word. Father, we thank you for the glorious truth that we've read about and sung of this evening, that when the fullness of time had come, you sent your son, born of a virgin, so that we who had fallen from you might be redeemed. What a glorious thing. What a life-changing reality. May we all know it. May we all sense your love and your call this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This shall be a sign unto you. This shall be a sign unto you. That's what the angel said. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and in some cloths, lying in a manger. This is a, a very familiar phrase to at least all of us that grew up attending church, and maybe even if you haven't. We grow up singing songs away in a manger that, that sort of narrate the story that's, that's written, the account of which is written in Luke chapter 2. But tonight I'd like to consider specifically what the angel says, this shall be a sign unto you. We already heard, if we think back just a little bit in our service, Nick read it for us, that what has Luke, the, the, the writer of his, the gospel of Luke, Luke, the physician, his account of what took place that led Joseph and Mary to give birth to Jesus in a stall. They were traveling for a census that was decreed, and along the way, Mary was found to be, was, the time upon her came, and, and she gave birth to a baby, to Jesus, and yet there was no room founding in an inn, so he was born in a stall. And then Luke moves, he shifts the scene, and it came to pass in those days, a little far away from, from Bethlehem, that, that there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. The scene shifts to shepherds 
with their sheep out under the open sky. And all of a sudden, and you imagine being these shepherds in this moment, all of a sudden, you're, doing, you're minding your own business, it's dark, quiet night, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. They were sore afraid. It's the King James. They had never experienced anything like this in all their days of shepherding. They were sure, I'm, I am, I'm positive, they, they thought their end had come. Their end was near. Remember, all throughout the Old Testament, when the power and the glory of God are on display, the people often can't handle it. They don't want to see it. When the glory of God came down with, on Mount Sinai, when the power and the glory of God came down with Moses, the people really didn't care to look on it. It terrified them. They were afraid. They said, no, 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 no. Give us something a little less potent, a little less powerful. We can't bear this. But the angel is here to share with these shepherds a very happy message. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. After sharing this wonderful news with them, the angel says, and this is what we're going to focus on this evening, this shall be a sign unto you. Tonight, I want to think about what's wrapped up in that statement. Now, in the English language, the word sign can be employed in various contexts, but in all of them, there is a general idea of giving some sort of signal which is meant to convey something. That's what a sign is. So whether you're talking about sign language, where you gesture and use motions to convey something, or whether you're talking about a billboard that uses words that we read to convey something, they are both signs. Many of us have probably, at one point or another, traveled north on 23, and if you go far enough on 23, you're going to see large billboards for Bronner's, the world's largest Christmas store, or so they claim. The signs announce to you how far away the location is and what you can expect when you arrive. Maybe if you get close enough, those signs might convey something more to you, like shorthand directions, you know, two miles and turn left at the next, the next light. Listen, you may not think about it very often, but we live in a culture that's saturated with signs. They're all around us, and they all serve the purpose of conveying something, and most of them serve the, the exact purpose of trying to get you to do something, to stop, to buy, to look, to order. They aren't pointless. They're all around us, and often we don't really even recognize the power in them, but they're there. I remember when I was a young, younger boy, um, I would go to Chicago, <laughs> younger boy than I am now, I'd sometimes go to Chicago in the summer times. My aunt lived there, downtown on Damon Avenue, just a handful of blocks north of the Loop. And when I would go there, um, we'd always go around to, she was a, the principal of a, a private school that, that she started for basically for, college, for, for high school dropouts around the city. So there was no shortage of things to do. We'd always have a grand time. 
I can remember one year I was very excited to go because I was taking something very special that I wanted to show her. What was that thing? Well, that thing was a pair of brand new Nike tennis shoes. I didn't often buy brand name tennis shoes. I remember getting bums from Target. But this year, I had a pair of Nike tennis shoes. They were black and white with red laces. I was very, very, very happy to take these to my aunt to show her how, how cool I was for having these shoes. But I was in for a sore disappointment when I arrived. You know why? Because I got there with my tennis shoes, and I stepped out to probably go to school with her the morning after I arrived. And she said, mm, not going to happen. Huh? What? Nope, you're not going to school with me in those shoes. What? Aunt Deb, these are my new shoes. What's wrong with them? They've got red laces. I don't allow the color red in my school. Well, the reason was, and it wouldn't strike me here, but, you know, gang affiliation, where she was, it was, it was a very different, downtown Chicago was a very different place than it is now 30 years ago. And she didn't allow the color red in her school. So I remember her going down to the basement and finding these grimy, dingy old boot laces, ripping out the nice red ones, and shoving these ugly boot laces through my nice new Nike tennis shoes. Now, listen, it's not just... Colors don't just serve as signals in Chicago. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Eastern Europe. And we were in, uh, well, at this particular moment, we were in, in Nice in, um, hmm, in Serbia, I guess it was. And in that city and in many of the other cities that we went to, as you walked through the streets, you'd see colors on different houses, light purples and, and yellows and and various colors all throughout the city. And what struck me was that there's all sorts of color, man, so much more color than we got here in the States, but the colors kind of went together from city to city, and it's like, what's going on here? Like, are these like all the national colors or something? We had a guide one day, and he told us what they're for. The colors represented the ethnicity of the people that lived in the home. So if you're Hungarian, and you were living in Serbia, then you painted your house, I, I can't remember if it was purple or or yellow, one of those colors. And if you were, you know, from some other area, you'd paint it a different color. Colors still used today to, to signal and sign things to us, but they go way beyond color. Symbols are everywhere. Symbols and signs are very, very similar to the same thing. We've got flags, and what does the flag represent? It represents to us democracy, to freedom. What does an eagle represent? Well, it represents power, liberty. If you look at the currency that you carry with you every day, you pull out a, a $100 bill or a $10 bill, you're going to see all sorts of different signs on that bill to authenticate, its, to, to, to verify its authenticity. All over that bill, there's other signs in our culture. You know, the other day, I, sometimes I question the greater things in life. Not very often, but sometimes. The other day I was driving down up 75 and I saw a car that had put a Yeti bumper sticker on their car. And I just thought to myself, why? It's a cooler, you know? But brand identity, signs, it's powerful. And we may laugh. I mean, I hope none of you have Yeti. I know Jordan's got a Yeti. I hope none of you have a Yeti bumper sticker on your car. If not, I'm sorry. I don't really mind. But this is all over the place, isn't it? Just, just in your mind's eye, imagine a person. And this person wears 
Vineyard Vines, Patagonia, and Birkenstocks. You kind of know what that person's like, don't you? Imagine a guy in Carhartts, Dickies, and Camo. You kind of know something about that person, don't you? We're so accustomed to signs that even our clothing choices are signals for who we are, or at least who we want people to perceive that we are. We're very familiar with signs, and these signs convey something. We're always taking clues and learning from the signs that are around us. You're very good at it. I am very good at it. In our passage, the angel of the Lord gives a sign to some shepherds that were out in the country, announcing Jesus coming. This shouldn't be a surprise to us because God is a God of signs. They're all throughout the Bible, and they're all throughout our lives as well. God has used signs since creation. This may, may never have struck you before, but in the very beginning of Genesis, we're told that God said, let there be light, and let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs for seasons, days, and years. God gave Noah and you a sign after the flood. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I will set my bow in the cloud. In Psalm 65, King David says this. He writes that even the beauty of the dawn and the glory of the sunset are signs from God given to us to convey a sense of his glory and his unending care and attention for us. He bookends each day with a kiss of affection to remind us that he hasn't forgotten about us. That through, that though rather the darkness of night may come, the dawn will always triumph over it. God gives us many signs. But one thing that we need to remember is that God doesn't give us signs for no reason. We don't use signs for no reason. God doesn't either. He doesn't give them for no purpose. He expects us to learn from his signs. He doesn't give them to us so that we can go on our merry way and ignore what he has said. He gives them for our benefit and our aid and our instruction. God expects us to learn from his signs. He teaches us about himself, his nature, through signs. This is why Paul can say that God has made the truth about himself evident to all mankind since from the very creation of the world, his attributes and his character and his eternal power and glory have been on display. They've been seen clearly through what he has made so that man is without an excuse for not seeing God and worshiping him as God. That's what Paul says in Romans. God expects us to learn from his signs. Do you learn from his signs? We must learn. And tonight, we get to learn from God's sign to the shepherds. There are two things I want to consider briefly in the moments we have together. First, I want to consider the sign itself. Second, I want to consider why the sign was given. First, what was the sign that was given to the shepherds? 
This shall be the sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. A babe would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, a little onesie, lying in a feed trough. What can we learn from this, you might ask? Well, there is much to learn. First, we learn that God condescended to be born as a man. You will find a babe, a baby, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. For love's sake, Jesus laid aside his crown to be born a child because he loves you, because he desires to be with you. He came like you did. He didn't need to. Nobody made him. Nobody expects any other God to come into this world and be with us and want to know us and want to be known by us. It's not the God of the Muslims. It's not the God of the Jews who reject Christ. It's not the God of the impersonal forces of Hinduism. Nobody expects that from any of those gods. Jesus did. Think of the vulnerability of being born a child. God condescending to become a child. The Lord who created the heavens and the earth subjecting himself to being formed in a womb that he himself made, submitting himself to the vulnerability of childhood and infancy, to being naked, to being changed, to being covered in blood and fluids from the birth canal, to pain, to inevitable falling and skinned knees and being unable to feed himself, to being helpless and needy. Through Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of them have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this God was born a baby because of his love for you. Shortly after he was born, one of the rulers that he had established will try to exterminate him. Yet he gladly did this because of his love for us. He didn't need to be born a baby. He could have opted out of that vulnerability and weakness. And I know, theologically speaking, he needed to be a man in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Sure, he needed to be the second Adam. We know the Bible says that. But here's the thing. Adam wasn't born a baby. Everything in Genesis points to the fact that God created Adam as a full-blown, fully formed man. Sure, it, it, surely it was God's prerogative to dictate what form his coming would take. And he committed, even back in Genesis, to being born from the seed of a woman. He could have come as a warrior from the mountains of Mongolia. He could have come as a prophet descending on the clouds in a fiery chariot. He came as a baby. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. 
But the sign indicates something to us as well, not just that he was born a babe. He wasn't just born a babe. He wasn't just needy in the sense that all children come into this world needy. Jesus was born poor. You think about all of the central characters, many, many of the central characters in the Old Testament, the patriarchs. They were wealthy. They were owners of much land. They oversaw many resources. You have Joseph, who was the favored son of a wealthy man. And he had some hard times. He had some trials, but he was exalted. You have Moses, the great leader of God's people through the Old Testament. Serves as a sort of a figure of Christ to come. He was raised in the palaces of Pharaoh. And yet we're told Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. The angel's sign is that the baby would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In an animal's feed trough. And I don't know how many of you guys have ever been around a farm. But a couple years ago, I stayed on a horse ranch. And I can tell you, it doesn't look anything like your manger scenes. It really doesn't. It smells. It's dirty. I've seen a feed trough. It's ugly. There's lots of flies. There's lots of manure. There's lots of nastiness. That's where Jesus was born. Not in exalted king's palaces. Not heralded by the nightly news of Jerusalem. Not even placed in a freshly renovated nursery. The sign from the angel is that he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Behold the humility of Christ. The Lord Jesus was eternally rich and glorious and exalted, but though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. He took off his garments of glory and exchanged them for the dirty rags that Joseph and Mary had, could scrounge up so that we might be dressed in his own garments. He gave up his royal robes so that we might wear his robes to the wedding feast, to be clothed so that we are not cast out. So what does the sign convey? The sign conveys at every point the great humility of Jesus Christ, the condescending love of Christ for you, that his love for you was so great that he was willing and even happy to lay aside all that was rightfully his, to give it up and to be born as a baby in a dirty barn and much more that he might give all to you. And if this was the sign and the example of Jesus Christ, can we learn as much from that as we learn from our brand identity today? Are you willing to look at the sign and to take away something from it, to allow it to change you? Are you willing to imitate him? Are you willing to embrace humility? Are you willing to live on earth and be pleased to dwell here because we have a mission. And yet, not live for the world. Yet, be willing to, to, to die to the things of this world for the glory of God. For the good of those that you love. Can we do that? Second, I just want to consider very briefly why the sign was given. And this one's a short one. The answer is very obvious. God wanted the shepherds to see Jesus. Jesus. 
Ding, ding, ding. It's that simple. God wanted the shepherds to see him. Just like the giant signs for Bronner's along 23, the sign was given to the shepherds by the angels so that they might see Jesus, so that they might find him. Notice that the angel offered the sign. He didn't ask if they were interested in seeing him. So notice, he says, here's how you're going to find him. The shepherds hadn't said they were going to go look. It's only afterwards that the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us, oh, let us now go. Let us now go even on to Bethlehem. How far is it? Well, let's go. No, the angel assumed that they would go, that they would want to see this wonderful, glorious thing that had taken place for themselves. And they go. The giving of the sign presumed a response from the shepherds. They were given a sign so that they were able to seek and to find Jesus who laid aside his glory so that he might share it with us. Why was the sign given? So that you might see it. Signs are always given to be noticed. Always given to be learned from. So this Christmas, I want you to see Jesus. Look at him Set your mind and your heart on him. See his humility and humble yourself before him. See his love for you and love him in return. Just as he was laid in a manger waiting to be found, he waits for you now. He will not turn, he will not turn away any who humbly come to him. And when you experience him, rejoice and praise God for all the things that you have heard and seen. Would you pray with me?